In Matthew 9 and verse 36, it says there that uh, when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were as sheep, or were scattered abroad as sheep, having no shepherd. If Jesus were to come today and look upon our families, or upon our congregations, would he see the same thing that he saw there in Matthew 9 verse 36? Would he be moved with compassion? Would he look upon the multitude and see that there was no leadership? That they were scattered and they were fainted. Today uh, we're going to talk about how we can be leaders, how we can become leaders, how we can grow in our leadership abilities. And I want you to know my toes are going to be stepped on. And as I've studied this lesson and I've looked at some things, and I'm kind of uh, with my son getting towards the end of that uh, opportunity that I have to instill these things in him. And and uh, look back on many of the mistakes I made, and and uh, so be stomping on my toes a bit here. Uh, but uh, this is a, an important thing for us to understand. You know, as goes the home, so goes the Lord's church. You think about what is the very first institution that God created. He created the home, and so that shows His importance, the importance that He places on it. You know, the home is the basic building block of civilization. You know, uh, the civilization is only as strong as the homes of which it is composed. And also, uh, more importantly, the church is only as strong as the families that make it up. And so, uh, therefore, it behooves us as Christians to do everything that we can in our power to strengthen our own families and thereby strengthen the Lord's church. Now, I've been blessed uh, in the last 12 years. I've been working with the, the Lord's Church in Oak Grove, Missouri. The congregation that was established in 1901 uh, continues to this day to be a, a sound and faithful congregation. There's been ups and downs, I'm sure, throughout the, the century or more that it has been around. But uh, when I came there, there was an eldership in place. And, uh, you know, they were a pretty good eldership. Over the years since I've been there, those elders have... Uh, some of them have gone on to their reward, and others have stepped down for various reasons. And so that eldership was replaced by a new generation of elders. And so we were blessed in that congregation to have a group of men that were ready to step into those roles. And so uh, those elders that we have now, they're still relatively young. You know, most of them are in their 60s, and, and you know, that's pretty young by elder standards in some places, and so uh, some of them are still in their 50s. And so uh, the, um, we have another generation that's coming up, and so I'm challenging the young men. We've got a lot of young men that are in their 20s and their 30s, and, and here in another few years, another 20 or 30 years, we are going to be needing new elders. And so who is going to fill the shoes of those that are currently our elders? And so from where will the next generation of elders come from? Where were the leaders of the Lord's church be coming from? You know, leaders are not born. Leaders are made. Leadership is a behavior that is learned. Leadership is only learned, though, really by experience. The only way we can really become a leader is, is to become a leader and start learning to lead and start leading. And so from, you know, where are the men who will lead the Lord's church? Where are they to get that leadership experience? Where are they going to come from? Where are they going to gain that experience? They're going to gain it in the home. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. 
It says of the one that would desire to be a bishop or an elder in the church. A husband of one wife, verse 2 says. Verse 4, it says, One that ruleth well his own house, having his, own children, or having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? And so we see that uh, the proving ground for leadership in the church is in the Christian home. And so husbands and fathers, as the heads of their respective homes, they must step up and become the godly leaders that their family needs. You know, a number of years ago, when not long after I moved to Oak Grove, you know, when I moved there, we had a nice group of high school age kids. I think I was teaching the, the Sunday morning or Wednesday night Bible class uh, for the teens. I think we had 11 high school age kids. Uh, shortly, well, even during the time I was there, we had a false teacher who was working behind the scenes. He was working and he was stealing the hearts of those around him, of, the, of our young people especially. Of those 11 teens, today, one, and only one, out of that whole generation of high school kids is currently a faithful Christian. They were devoured by a false teacher who arose from within our own congregation. Someone who had grown up in our congregation. Uh, an adult man who had been in our congregation for many years. And he stole the hearts of our young. But one of the lost kids, one of our lost was a young lady. She was the daughter of one of our deacons. And I remember him saying to, to me when, when we saw that she was going off and she was going along with this false teaching. And uh, he said, well, she's 18 now, I can't tell her what to do. How sad. How sad. The, the moment she needed him the most was the moment he said, well, she's made her decision, she's an adult, and, and there's nothing else I can do for her. He did not provide the godly leadership she needed. And when the time of her testing came, she failed the test and she had no help from her father. Even more devastating than that was her little sister followed her into the same thing, and then eventually her parents fell away. And so uh, a lack of leadership. You know, it is time for dads, it's time for husbands to become the spiritual giants that their children need them to be. And that God demands them to be. But how do we become a leader? How do we develop leadership? You know, I, my son has been involved in the Civil Air Patrol Cadet Program. Anybody's familiar with that? It's very similar to ROTC. It's a cadet-led program. The, the older cadets lead the younger cadets. And it's divided into four phases. The first phase is what we call the, the learning phase. It's, uh, they kind of mimic the Air Force ranks. And so if you're familiar with uh, airmen uh, to uh, uh, staff sergeant, that's the, the learning phase. They're learning the customs and courtesy. They're learning you know, how to follow commands. They're learning all these different things. And as they progress up to technical sergeant, they begin to teach the, the basic cadets. And so the, the, the more advanced cadets that have been through and learned to lead or learned to follow, they're teaching and so they immediately begin to learn leadership skills by doing, by putting it into place. And so I'm going to give some practical suggestions on how to grow into godly leaders. And the first one I just alluded to is learn to be a follower. Now that's the first thing that we instill in the cadets, in the cadet program, is to follow orders, to follow 
uh, and, the, and to be to learn how to, to follow directions and learn how to uh, you know do the things that are required. It's vitally important that we understand that we cannot be a godly leader in the home until we first learn to be an imitator or a follower of God. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? He's a learner, he's a student, he's a follower. And so we must be a disciple. To be a disciple means we are like the one that we are following. We are Christians because we are like Christ. We are to be Christ-like. He is our example. And so one cannot lead until he has fully grasped the concept of followership. You know, think about this. Even Christ needed to learn how to be a follower. In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, it says, Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Now I know that uh, Jesus did not, as the Word of God, as deity, did not learn anything. He knows everything. To imply that he learned something means that he would, would imply that at some point he didn't know something. And so we're not talking about that, but the word here also means to learn by use and practice to acquire the habit of, to become accustomed to. And so he became and experienced for the first time what it means to, to be subject to someone else. You know, Jesus was subject to his parents. In Luke chapter 2, verses 51 and 52, it says, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in his heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And so he learned the concept of what it means to be a follower. Remember, he emptied himself. He divested himself of much of, the, of what he had with the Father in heaven. When he came to the earth, Philippians chapter 2, uh, he made himself uh, of no reputation. Yeah, he became... Uh, subject to the Father and to His will. And so even Jesus had to, to learn by experience to be a follower. A, a father cannot make disciples of his children they do, until he himself has become a faithful disciple of Christ. And so fathers in the home need to set the example of faithfulness to their children uh, and also for their wives. You know, a godly father says with Paul, be ye followers of me, as I am of Christ. And so the first thing, in order to be a leader, we must learn to be a follower. We must learn to be a disciple. Another thing we must learn is to know what it is that God expects of a husband and a father. If we're going to be a leader, we need to know what the role is. We need to know what God expects of us. You know, God has set forth His plan for leadership in the home. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. And so the Bible sets forth you know, the, the, the chain of authority, you might say. The chain of responsibility. You know, the husband, uh, the man is subject unto God. Uh, the wife is subject un, unto the husband. So that's the principle set forth. 
You know, here in 1 Corinthians 11, he's making a specific application to worship, to the worship assembly of a general principle. The general principle is the headship of the husband over the wife. And so the reason why is because he goes on in, verse, in chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, is because the woman is of man, and the woman is for the man, verse 9, uh, and so the woman is to be subject unto the man, verse 10. And so the husband and wife, though, notice uh, verses 11 and 12. There it says that they are both subject to Christ. It says, Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. They are both to be in subjection. And so, uh, the headship of the home. Now this does not mean that the husband is the dictator of the home and that he is... Uh, treats his wife and his children like they're, uh, like they're slaves or anything like that. That's not what it's talking about. But someone has to, to be the one with whom the buck stops. You know, the, the great uh, President of the United States from the state of Missouri, uh, Truman, Harry S. Truman, had a thing on his desk that said, the buck stops here. And that's what the father in the home, the husband in the home, uh, the buck stops there. Now, a foolish man ignores the advice of his wife and ignores completely the wishes of his children. That's what a foolish man does. A wise man takes those things into consideration, but when a decision has to be made, he is the one that makes the decision. And so as a leader, you're making decisions for your wife, you're making decisions for your children that will affect their lives, affect their spiritual lives, affect their, uh, their spiritual destinies. And so God wants us to understand that we are to be the head of our home. He expects a man to be the spiritual leader of his home. You know, Ephesians 5, and 23 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and He is the Savior of the body. And so uh, he's drawing a metaphor between the, the husband-wife relationship and the Christ and the church relationship. So there's a number of uh, parallels that we can see uh, in that the, the wife is subject to the husband just as uh, Christians are subject unto Christ. And so uh, I want to read a, uh, a little quote from, uh, from a commentary, uh, William Hendrickson. Uh, it says, um, here to be sure, he that... I got these two close together. I keep hearing a buzz. Right. He says, to be sure, he has that authority and should exercise it, but never in a domineering manner. The comparison with Christ as the head of the church reveals in what sense the husband is the wife's head. He is her head as being vitally interested in her welfare. He is her protector. His pattern is Christ, who as the head of the church is its Savior. And so uh, here... Uh, we see that he must be the spiritual leader of his home. He is the one that God is going to hold accountable. Uh, God expects you to be a godly husband to your wife. Again, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 29. Uh, it, it goes into detail here. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it and cleanse it by the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. 
So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And so he expects you to be a godly husband. At 1 Peter 3, 7, it says there, Likewise ye husbands, dwell with them, it's talking about your wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. You know, he is to dwell with his wife according to knowledge, according to understanding. He needs to understand his role as a husband, her role as a wife. He needs to understand her needs, the things that she needs. He needs to have an understanding heart towards his wife. He needs to treat her uh, as she is the weaker vessel, not weaker mentally, not weaker spiritually. In fact, in many cases, you know, women are, are stronger in those areas than men. A buzz. Maybe I'm talking too loud. So, all right. So, uh, she is not the weaker vessel in any of those senses. She's the weaker vessel in the sense that, on general, men are 30% stronger than women. Uh, you have a man and a woman of the same height and weight, he's going to be 30% stronger. And so you need to recognize that. You know, uh, and, and not take advantage of that. As one who is a leader of the home, he is not going to to be a one that uses his strength difference, his size difference as a way to intimidate or to uh, in any way abuse his wife. A godly man would never do such a thing. There is no excuse whatsoever for that, to use that uh, strength or that size advantage in that regard. You know, one is to be a leader of the home. One leads from the front. One leads by doing. Have you ever seen the illustration where you take a string and you pull it well, it all goes in the same direction if you're pulling it from the front, but if you push it from behind, what happens? It goes all over the place. And so a husband needs to be a leader, not a, uh, a bully. You know, some people get the idea that leadership is I'm the boss and I'm the bully and I'm going to get people to do what I want. That's not the way the husband is to lead in the home. And so God expects you to be a godly husband to your wife. He expects you to be a spiritual role model for your family. You know, Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We need to, to be able to say to our children, do as I do. Be a, a faithful Christian like me in Christ, as I am in Christ, as I am obedient to Christ. You follow me in that. You know, in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, it says here, it gives kind of the order for how it should be in the household. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and thy mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with thee, that thou mayest live long in the land, or mayest live long on the earth, and ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And so we are to bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. We are to show them by example how to live faithfully. As a husband and father, you will make many mistakes as you progress as a leader and a role model. You know, your wife and kids, you know, you're around them a lot. They see you. They see how you react to things. They see you when you're, when you're strong. They see you when you're being that spiritual giant that, that you need to be. But they also see you when you're that spiritual weakling. They see your faults. And they'll see you sin. And that's sad to say, my kids have seen me sin. 
And, and that, that scares me to think that they have seen me do things that are wrong. You know, uh, Brother uh, Vessel is going to speak tonight on what have they seen in thy house. That kind of scares me. I've got an 18-year-old who's about to come forth from the house. What has he seen in my house? What kind of example have I been? So there's been times that I have committed sin. You know, the kids, they watch it. Your wife sees it. You know, especially your young ones, they miss very little. You know, they have you know, something that's built into them called a hypocrisy detector. They can see it in their parents. So here's a thought. They will often see it when you do wrong, when you sin. And just as often, they need to see it when you repent. When you sin in their presence, whatever it may be, you know, say something that you shouldn't have said, you know, uh, spread a rumor that you shouldn't have spread, uh, drop something on your toe and, and said the first word that came to your mind, uh, they're going to see it. And so, you know, you confess it. Apologize to them. Repent from it. Ask for their prayers. You know, what a powerful example you can be for your family. To not be ashamed to admit your faults. To acknowledge your sin. To pray for forgiveness. And to move on. Show them how to do that. Because they're going to sin. And they're going to need an example of how to repent. And how to move on from that. You know, a number of years ago, where I, a congregation I preached at, there was a young father... He came forward at, you know, after the end of the sermon. He came forward and he asked for prayers, confessing that he had not lived as a father and as a husband in the way that he knew he should. And he wanted to do better and he wanted to make it right and he wanted our prayers. And I was very proud of that young man when he did that. It took a lot of courage to get up in front of his whole family, in front of the entire congregation, and admit that he's not been what he should be. I was proud of that young man. We left the the assembly, and one of the elders came to me and he said, I'm so disappointed in that boy. And I looked at him like, what in the world could possibly be disappointing about that? He said, well, I thought he was a better man than that. Well, he is a better man than that. And he wants to be a better man than that. He needs our help, not our condemnation. And so, um, I thought he said a powerful example. So remember, as a role model, a godly leader is truly a role model. But a hypocrite is merely a role player. And your kids will see it if you're a hypocrite. If there's hypocrisy in your life, they're going to use that hypocrisy detector and they're going to know it. And so, uh, set an example. God expects you to be an example. God expects you uh, to know the roles that you should play as, or should be, not play. The role that you should fulfill as a father. Number three, and, and I don't know that these are in any kind of order. I keep changing the order on these. And so, uh, third one on my list here uh, is thank eternally. You know, a leader must have an ultimate goal in mind. And that goal, of course, is to go to heaven. You know, I want to go to heaven for my own sake. I also want to go to heaven and I want to go and be with my children. You know, there's kind of, I think of it as a hierarchy of things that I can control. First thing, the only thing I really have complete control over is, is how I react to the world around me. I can't control what happens to the, in my world. I can't control what happens to me. But I can always control how I react to it. And so in the, the hierarchy of things that I can control myself is number one. But I also have a great influence as a father in the home with my children and with my wife. I don't have, I can't control everything that they do and 
That's not possible. But my highest responsibility is myself. The second is to get others to, to heaven. I can't go and lead my children to heaven if I'm not going there myself. And so uh, a godly leader in the home has heaven as his ultimate goal. Just like last night, uh, Brother Webster talked about how an archer, he points his arrow and he lets go of the arrow, not the bow. And the arrow flies and it hits the target. And that target is heaven. We're aiming our children towards heaven. You know, He sets his sights. A godly father, a godly leader sets his sights on developing multi-generational faithfulness. He is faithful. He wants his children to be faithful. And you think about, does our responsibility to our children end the moment that we release that arrow? We still have a responsibility to our children as they grow older. We have a responsibility to our grandchildren. Uh, Great-grandchildren, should we live that long? But even still, if we don't live that long, the legacy of faithfulness that we can leave for that child, that grandchild, that great-grandchild is there. You know, I can think about... um, my wife's grandfather was a gospel preacher. I knew him the last year and a half of his life. He passed away right after we got married. And so I barely knew him. But I, I've seen the influence that he had throughout the, the world. Throughout, you know, look at my wife. I look at my in-laws. I look at her family. And I see generations of faithfulness. I see an example of leadership that we can always go back to. My kids never will have met their great-grandfather. But I guarantee it, they have been influenced by Him. And so, uh, we should be looking to develop that kind of uh, relationship. And, and we can do that with our leadership. We can lead others to Christ. We can lead our family to Christ. Uh, we can lead future generations to Christ. You know, along the way to His ultimate goal of heaven, the Christian husband and father has set for himself and his family you know, maybe smaller goals that lead to long-term success. You know, we can set a great goal that is our ultimate goal, but how are we going to get there? We set other goals that, are, that we can measure, that are achievable. And so, uh, for himself, he should look to the scriptural qualifications for elders as a measuring stick of his progress towards uh, his goal of being a leader. You know, you think about uh, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus chapter 1, there are a number of qualifications given. You know, these are what God expects of a leader. You know, uh, it's pretty sad if you've ever been in a congregation that has elders that are not qualified. You know, I know of an eldership that had four elders, and if you combined all of them into into one person, and then tried to apply all of the eldership qualifications to that one person, you still wouldn't come up with one that was a faithful scriptural elder. And that's sad that that is the case in so many places in the Lord's church. And so as I am progressing in as a leader, as I'm growing as a leader, I need to look to God's Word. I need to look to the mirror of God's Word. We need to look into God's Word and we need to examine ourselves. See where we are. See where we need to make progress. And so... uh, We need to continue to, to think eternally and think short-term goals that, that lead to our eternal uh, destination. You know, as a spiritual leader of his home, a man does not measure success by things that are material in nature. 
You know, I say, well, I'm real successful. I've got a new truck, and I've got a new boat, and I've got all this. You know, I used to say, you know, when I was younger, that I wanted to, to get a brand new boat and a brand new truck to go with it. I had my priorities straight, fishing first, and then the way to get to the lake second. Well, and I would say, boy, if I achieve those two things, and, and oh, and a deer lease, got to have a deer lease. If I achieve those three things, then I would be successful. Well, I've got none of those things. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, that's not how we measure success. He does not measure success by how well his children do in school. He does not measure success by how many material things he has to pass down to them. You know, a father with all of his children safely in the arms of the Lord can call himself a success. Whether or not his children are successful as the world counts such things. And so that's what we are doing. That is what we our spiritual leadership is about, is leading our children and our families uh, in Christ and to Christ. Number four, uh, to instill discipline. You know, one prominent role of a leader is to train, to teach, and to disciple those that he leads. You know, in the home, the father is to be a nurturer and an admonisher. Again, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, you know, don't uh, provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. That word uh, nurture denotes the training of a child, including instruction, hence discipline or correction, a chastening. It suggests Christian discipline that regulates character. And then the word admonition is training by word, whether uh, of encouragement or, if necessary, by reproof or remonstration. In contrast to this, the synonymous word nurture stresses training by act through both word uh, and are, through, through word, and both are used in each respect. And so, you know, it's training by training and it's training by encouragements. That's what nurture and admonition is. And so we need to instill discipline in our children. Uh, you know, now in doing that, we must not be overly harsh. You know, it says uh, again, Ephesians 6, 4, uh, Provoke not your children to wrath. Colossians chapter 3, verse 21 says, Provoke not your children to anger. Now, don't get me wrong here. When you tell a child no, you're going to provoke them to anger. You're going to make them angry with you. They're going to be mad at you. That's not what he's talking about here. Uh, it, it talk, provoking one to wrath, provoking one to anger, uh, is you know uh, maybe by being too harsh on them, uh, or being too lax. And so don't be overly harsh. Don't be too lax. You know, in Proverbs 29, verse 15, it says there, The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. A child left to himself, you know, we started with Matthew 9, verse 36. They were fainted and they were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Is that our children? You know, who is really the leader of the modern home? In far too many cases, it is the children. All you've got to do is go to the grocery store or go to Walmart and see the children and see their parents. And oftentimes you will see who's really in charge of that family. And so don't be too harsh, but don't be too lax. You've got to find that balance, that consistency. And you must be consistent in your discipline. 
You know, remember what happened with, with the sons of Isaac and later with the sons of Jacob? You know, what, what was the characteristic of their family? You know, and the, uh, you know, Jacob and Esau. There was favoritism, wasn't there? The mother, she loved Jacob, and the father, Isaac, he loved Esau. And so uh, we see there was that preferential treatment, perhaps. And then we see in the life of Jacob that he loved Joseph above all of his brethren. And what happened there? Caused discord in the family. You talk about uh, provoking your children to wrath. You be inconsistent in your discipline. You treat one different than you treat the other. And so be consistent in your discipline. And especially, don't forget self-discipline. You know, this goes back to the principle of followership. Don't be a child in a man's body. Grow up and take seriously your leadership responsibilities. So instill discipline. And then prayer. Prayer is important in everything, in every part of your aspect of your life. Pray a lot. Pray with your family. Pray for your family. You always think about uh, the example of Job. In Job 1.5 it says, And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. He continually prayed and made intercession for his children. Uh, we need to be a teacher. A facilitator of teaching. You know, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 through 8, it talks about, you know, you teach your children when, they, when you lie down and when you rise up. Uh, four instances. Basically, in every aspect of your life, every part of the day, you know, make every opportunity that you have with your child a teachable moment. You know, you can do things uh, having family devotionals. I believe someone spoke about that this morning. Uh, it's so important to instill that family Bible hour, to start that early. Uh, and if you haven't done that, and, and maybe your kids are older, it's not too late to start it. Uh, take them uh, to attend gospel meetings, to lectureships, and, and as much as you can. Uh, finally, at least as far as time is concerned, finally, <laughs> uh, look to great godly examples of leadership and emulate them. You know, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 19, you know, here God speaks of Abraham. He says, For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him, and they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he hath spoken of. You know, this was spoken before the birth of Isaac. Before the birth of that child of promise, yet Abraham already had a son named Ishmael. He had servants that had been born in his house. And apparently he's been raising his nephew lots. He's already proven himself as one who is a leader in the home. Some things that stand out about his leadership. Notice that God said he would command him. You know, the word here translated is the sense of establishment of a rule by which a subordinate is to act in every recurring situation. So Abraham would teach those principles to his family. He would set forth godly principles that would enable his family to know how to behave in any given circumstance. He'd provide a framework in which to make important life decisions. 
And so by His teaching and also by His example, He would show them by His example how to walk and live that godly, faithful life. You know, He has said, it is said of Abraham that He is the father of them that believe. Because in Him shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Through Him came uh, the, the Messiah ultimately. He would command His children to walk in the way of the Lord. And then Ezra chapter 7 verse 10 gives us a formula perhaps for growing in leadership. It says there, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord. There you go, the, the learning to follow, to be a follower, to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. And to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. You know, he first prepared his heart, his mind, with the knowledge of God's Word. You know, fathers, we need to put forth the effort to know God's Word. You know, there is no shortcut to it. 2 Timothy 2.15, the American Standard says, Give diligence to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, handling aright the Word of truth. We need to have a systematic Bible study. There are many ways that you can, you can do that, but uh, uh, you need to have a consistent and systematic uh, Bible study. Ezra then implemented God's Word in his own life. He knew what to do and then he did it. He put it into practice. And then Ezra was able to lead his nation in God's ways. He was able to do so because he had a, a thorough understanding of the precepts of God and because he was a model of pure religion for his nation. Likewise, the father in the home is to be a leader and a teacher of godly living for his family. And so uh, I hope that uh, we will take some of these things and that we can apply them in our lives and be a good leader, to be what we should be, that we can grow uh, ever closer to God, that we can bring our family uh, with us as we uh, progress our way towards